Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and we will continue in our study on the Ten Commandments. And we are looking at the Second Commandment. This is our third week in studying the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, we've talked about some unique characteristics of the Ten Commandments. uh, It doesn't call them commandments right here in this passage or in Deuteronomy where it's listed out, but it's called uh, the the words of God. And oftentimes we refer to the Ten Commandments as the Decalogue, and log means words, logos, uh, logical means words or reasoning, and it's the very reasoning of God. Now, God, God speaks, and it is uh, the ten spoken words of God, as if to say these, these, this is the foundation of the character and the commandments that the Lord wants us to follow. It's, it's very appropriate to call it the Ten Commandments. I'm just telling you. What it says about the Decalogue or the, the, the very sayings of God, this is the ten sayings of God. And it, it's just unique in all that it does. I also want you to know that you and I come to the Lord on the same basis. There isn't anyone in this room uh, better than anyone else, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. But also I want you to understand, and, and you must know, that you are responsible for your own soul. No, I'm not responsible for your soul, other than uh, I've, been given, I've been given a responsibility to shepherd in a way, but you alone, and we'll look at this in a minute, more detail, you are lo- alone are responsible to hear from God on your own. Sometimes people see religious people, buildings, institution, as they in and of themselves have an authority that God never really gave them, But by the nature of the subject, it's easy to be misused. Do you understand what I'm saying? Someone who stands up in front of other people and holds a Bible, and many people just sit back and go, well, tell me what I'm supposed to believe. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to tell you what you're supposed to believe. I'm going to show you what God's Word says, and it's up to you to make a decision. We are individually the priesthood of the believers, right? We make up the priesthood of the believers. So I can't, uh, I, can't, I can't think for you. I can't respond for you. I can't obey for you. I can't do the research. I can't even understand it for you. All I can do is take what God has spoken and then present it. Is that right? Does that make sense? So don't say this is the truth because Brother Max says it. Don't say that. Although I hope that's a true statement. <laughs> But what you and I say is we say, look, this is what God's Word says, and not any institution, not any individual, but God Himself has spoken. That's why we call that the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, the Ten Words of God. And that's where we are. So in the first commandment, we clearly saw uh, that we are to worship the Lord God Almighty. In fact, the first commandment is who we worship, the who of worship. Today, we are going to be looking at the way of worship. And here is the second commandment. It says, uh, verse 4 of Exodus chapter 20, do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here's how jealousy is. 
punishing the children for the father's sins to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing faithful love, let me pause right there, that usually the time when you see faithful love in Scripture, it comes from one word in the Hebrew, chesed. It's hard to say because I don't have the, the, the Hebrew guttural in the back of my throat. Chesed, just kind of, anyway, it's just, it sounds like a hacking sound. It just does. It, chesed love, meaning God's faithful love. No matter what you do, I will love you no matter what. So he reveals this faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So when we look at this, we look at this commandment and the way of love. When Paul went into uh, Athens, he, he was troubled in the spirit. Now, Athens was an incredible city. I mean, a major metropolis, beautiful architecture, all kinds of social activities, a whole lot like San Angelo, just a beautiful city. And as he's there and he's looking around and he's marveled, he makes this comment about that city. And we all know cities like this. They're known for their, uh, their, their social standing, if you will, New York, uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, Constantinople, or, or uh, what's it called now? Constantinople is called Istanbul. I mean, these massive cities, uh, Cairo, beautiful structures, and, and their philosophy is seen within all the things Uh, that are made, and Paul, looking at Athens, in his spirit, Acts chapter 17, 16, he says this, seeing all of that, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Everywhere he looked, here's an idol, here's an idol, here's something to worship, here's a place to worship, here's a direction, here's a totem pole, and he was troubled in spirit. He wasn't He wasn't amazed at the the beauty of all that took place. He was troubled by the idols. And so oftentimes we succumb to the beauty and, and the creativity of the arts that are all around, but we fail to be discerning in what all of that really represents what it really means. And I hope that, and this is one of the reasons we want to go through the Ten Commandments, and this is one of the four prayers I pray for Glenn Meadows all the time, that God would bring us as a people discernment so we would know right and wrong and not being drawn away by the beauty or the things that entice the very soul within us, and we miss the true message in the one who's, who's doing all this creativity. So, anyway, Paul stood in front of... Uh, many of the people, the secular people. And he he said this, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observed the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which it was inscribed to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So uh, up in uh, this one area where they were, Uh, They found all of these statues and all of these idols, and it had the names of all these different gods. And then they just had another statue that just said, and to the one we may be forgetting, to the unknown God, we don't know who he is. And Paul says, listen, uh, I'm grieved that you have all these idols, but let me explain to you who this unknown God is. And he preached the gospel to him, to all of them very clearly. Many came to know the Lord. So here's what we know. According to this verse, verse 4, second commandment, we are not to make images to represent God in any form, okay? We are not to make images in any way to God in any form whatsoever. 
And we, and we are not to worship images of any kind. So we're not to make them and we're not to observe them. Now, that doesn't mean a church, I mean, we don't have any like pictures or anything in here. Um, and some churches are against any kind of picture, any kind of symbol of religious worship. And I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think we can't, I, think, I don't think this is uh, uh, prohibiting us from having any kind of symbols. I don't think that at all. One of the reasons is if you study about the temple of God, the tabernacle of God, there were all kinds of symbols in there. In fact, even the curtains had little cherubim facing each other. Even the color and the, the, the sizes of the structure of the poles of the curtains. And then you had all the, the elements of the furniture that's in there. And so there's nothing wrong with symbols that might inspire worship of the true God, but you do not bow down to them, nor do you make them to where you worship these things of imagination. And basically what he's saying, you and I have no right to be involved in self-willed worship. Self-willed worship. As though you are to decide who you worship and how you worship. You and I are not to do that. I am not to just decide I'm going to worship something and then make it and create it in some type of image. Self-willed worship. It doesn't mean there's not any type of architecture or pictures of a cross or maybe a scene in Golgotha, you know, or, or Gethsemane, or a scene of, of uh, David killing Goliath. No, that's nothing wrong with that. But to worship it is very wrong. So we're not to be involved. This command opposes any self-guided worship, not the things that bring distraction, that capture our attention, um, but our worship is to experience God directly. I mean, think about it. Do we want something man-made, or do we want to worship God who has revealed Himself perfectly through the spoken word? So it comes down to this. You and I have a choice to grab and go after the substitutes of God or to go after God Himself. I mean, I love my wife, but... I don't go around and just think, man, you got a beautiful hairbrush. You know, I don't. I don't say, man, you have beautiful hair, right? It's not the, it's not the ornaments. It's not the things. And we tend to get trapped in that very quickly. In fact, we see these things. The Old Testament is full of examples of idol worship of a golden calf. Remember that? Moses comes out down Mount Sinai. He just received the Ten Commandments. And uh, in, in the process, Joshua took, he took the gold from their hands, fashioned it. This is Exodus chapter 32, verse 4 and 5. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into the image of a calf. Then he said, Israel, this is your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Then he made an announcement. There will be a festival of the Lord tomorrow. And so there was a lot right about what they were doing. There was a whole lot right about what they were doing. The festival of the Lord. The Lord already designed that festival. Altars. We need altars. He did. God, Yahweh, did bring us out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery to here. But the thing that was wrong was fashioning a symbol. And it was even a symbol that God ordained. A cow, a heifer. They used it in worship. But when they took all the things that they use in worship and made it the subject of worship, it became great, a great sin. 
the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was seen as power itself. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 1 through 11 is a description of all of that. Uh, the temple of God. People saw the temple of God as like a lucky charm, like a rabbit's foot. Which think about that. When we carry rabbit's foot, I used to have a rabbit's foot, had a little cheap keychain key around it. And I'm thinking, I finally got to the point, I thought, you know what, <laughs> a rabbit's foot can't bring you too much luck because this rabbit had four of them and he ain't here no more. <laughs> right? Poor little rabbit. So what's going to happen to me? <laughs> I didn't carry the rabbit's foot anymore. But we have all these things. But then we also see this injunction on this punishment. And, and I want you to watch this. This is really a scary verse. I mean, you look at this and you go, oh, no. He says, uh, for I'm a jealous God, punishing the children of the fathers, sins to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Here's what he's saying. You know, you tend to think, uh-oh, if you have a, a great-great-grandfather that was really a bad guy, um, man, there's no hope for me. Even if you're a good guy, some, some kid that's acting really good and doing great and following the Lord, but yet he had a dad that, or a mom that was not doing well, then there's no help for him. He's doomed. Is that what this means? It's not what this means at all. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret it. It's very clear in what it's talking about. In fact, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel clears this up and makes it, makes it very uh, obvious to us that there is a, an incredible uh, principle that is powerful. And in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, he says, the person who sins, that's the one who gets punished. The person who sins, that's the one who dies. A son won't suffer punishment for the father's iniquities, and a father won't suffer punishment for the son's iniquities. So Ezekiel writes almost a whole chapter trying to clear this up and basically saying this, look, you cannot come before God and say, hey, God, I'm sorry I, I, I was worshiping you. I was worshiping idols, and I was worshiping you in the wrong way, but that's what my daddy told me to do. That's what my mama told me to do. That's what great-grandpa used to do. We're from a lineage of people that don't worship you right, so don't blame me. Ezekiel comes in and says, that, that doesn't work before God. You and I will stand alone before God. And so you and I must challenge anything we've been taught on God according to the Word of God. It's not just by uh, what others say or institutions say, it's what God's Word says, and that's what Ezekiel 18 is all about. And so if, if uh, an individual had a great-great-great-grandfather that led into paganism, and then his child and his child, it finally gets down to you, now's the time to break that chain. Now, let me just say something about, I hear often people speak of generational curses and they must be broke. And here's, what, here's how you break generational curses, is you say, I'm not going to do that. Done. Okay? It's not a seance to, to change this avenue. It's saying, look, my whole lineage is going this way. I'm not doing that broken right then, right there. You and your decision is what sets your course, not what your great granddaddy did in some back corner church in an alley worshiping in a bad way. Okay. So that's how you do it. You repent of your sins, not anybody else's. You're accountable for what you do, not for what someone else does. It's just the That's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 18, very clearly, and what we are all about. So, um, 
Why no images? What's wrong with bowing down to an image? Here's, here's what it is, just based on this. Here's what we learn. First of all, God is spirit. God is free. It's not that you take a totem pole and you drag God around with where you are or a rabbit's foot or any kind of symbol. It's not that you wear it around your neck or put it in your boot. It's not anything like that. God is God. He is spirit. John 4, 24. Remember that scene? Uh, Jesus is there in uh, Samaria. Where is Samaria? It's just Samaria, man. I don't know. It's just Samaria. So... <laughs> It's, it's, it's by Galilee, in between Galilee and Jerusalem, and on that way, it's a very hilly area, and Jews would not even go around there. I mean, I mean, wouldn't go through there. They'd take the long road around to just not go in that area. And so here Jesus says, i got to go through Samaria. He's in Samaria. And Samaritans were, were, were half Jews and half whatever. They were, they, were, they were made fun of because of their ethnicity. But they were also known for being uh, half Jewish and half whatever. And uh, because of the captivity and being taken by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and there was the intermingling. And when they came back, they brought back some of those ideas from those lands. And so the Jewish people said they're not pure. Uh, they're not pure blood, and they're not pure in their faith. Therefore, we can't associate. But Jesus says, I got to go there. And he's there, and here he is about thirsty, and a lady comes up at the wrong time of day, a woman of ill reputes, we believe, and she just says, hey, uh, want some water? And, and he says, hey, if you knew who it was, you'd be asking for living water. And she's like, what? And then they get into this conversation. And then she says, she goes from sir to Lord to prophet, and Jesus, you're, you're somebody special. And then she starts feeling conviction, and she says this, hey, I can't go to Jerusalem to worship because I'm, I'm a half-breed. That's what she says. I'm Samaritan. And I can't go to Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans worship because I'm a woman. So, hey, don't preach at me. I can't do either. And then he says this. He says, listen, God is spirit. Not God is a spirit. God is spirit, meaning he has no form. He has no place. He has no proximity. He is everywhere at once. He is not relegated to one locale ever. And so you can make excuses that you can't go there to Mount Gerizim or you can't go down to Jerusalem, but I'm telling you, God is spirit. And so it's, he's, he's not anything or anyway, he's not a being that you can bring down to an image or a totem pole. And, and those that make God an image, they are flying in the face of the very nature and character of God. That's why you can't have an image. Also, because God is jealous. By his being and who he is and all of his attributes declares that there is no one like him. It's, they call it the aseity of God or the otherness of God. There is no one else. There is nothing else except God. God, by definition, in and of himself, and this is an understatement, is unique. There's no one like him. No one can do what he does. No one thinks like he thinks. No one moves. No one has the power that he has. And for me to bow down to something else fuels the jealousy of God going, that's, that's nonsense. Also, this is interesting. Believing comes from hearing, not from seeing. Believing comes from hearing, 
not from seeing. Our believing comes from sound, not from the vision. And, and we see this very, very clear. Um, the, the, in the Bible, especially on this side of heaven, uh, we, we see by hearing. Uh, you hear the sound of words, but you see no form. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, he speaks of how, how we got the Ten Commandments. was clear that God was not in any location, and you didn't see a form, but you heard the voice. And then Moses comes down and explains that to all the people. When they're saying, what is he like? Your face is glowing like white. And he said, I never saw him. I didn't see him, but I heard him. Now listen, we will never apologize for being word-centered, right? And not anything else. It, it is the Word of God that directs us and gives us the definition of who God is. Also, it is the Word of God that teaches us how to worship, why we worship, when we worship, which is all the time. And it's just, it's just so powerful when we look at these things that it is faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. It's not visual. In fact, um, many of the cults, I, I would say all of them, but there may be one that I don't know of, which I'm, there are many that I don't know of, but I'm just saying, well, you know what I mean. So I would say all, but many started off with a vision, a physical vision of a being that told them things. Did you know that? From Joseph Smith to Russell, uh, Weirwell, all these individuals, they saw something and they went after it. And when they saw, they heard these voices. Uh, if you teach everybody what I teach you, then I'll teach you what I've taught no man since the very first century. And you're like, that's an apostle. No, he's not. You know, I've got these golden tablets, and, and, and nobody can read them, but I've got special glasses, and there is an angel that led me to this, and here it is. And so I'm telling you, listen, according to the Word of God, God has no image. I mean, think about it. If He's all-powerful and everywhere at once. How can you? You can't. And so when you do that, you put, you put God in a box, or you put Him in in a physical being, inside a body, then you have just distorted the very image of God. And when actually he says, it's not what you see, but it's the Word of God that directs us. Also, <clears throat> so many people will do this. They'll say, look, I know that this image isn't God, but it just helps me pray and it helps me visualize. And the bottom line is that um, you don't need a mediator right? You don't need an in-between. You've got the Lord God Almighty, and you, He is invisible, and He speaks through His Word, and you don't need a physical image. You don't need an an, 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 a mediator. You don't need an in-between. You know why? <laughs> because the Lord Jesus Christ is that. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, And we beheld His glory, the glory is the only begotten from the Father. Verse 14 of John chapter 1. Read John chapter 1 through John chapter 14. In fact, read all of John. It, it's a kick. It's fantastic. And it explains that Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. And, and this is who we go to. He's the mediator. Also, here's another incredible point, that we don't use idols or we don't use images. Here's why. And Scott read it this, this morning. I love it, and it happens all the time. Scott knows what we're going to be going over Sunday morning, 
And he prays and God gives him passages. But man, that passage that he read in 1 John nails this point. It's interesting, oftentimes, when we talk about pure worship, then we end up talking about pure love for one another. And that the only way to see that we know the invisible God is when we love those we can see. And so here's the point. We are the image of God. Okay. God doesn't have an image other than we are created in His image. We are, this, this may not be good grammar. I don't know, it might be. I'm going to say it anyway. We're imagers. Is that a word? Yeah, it just is. It's, I just made it up. We are imagers. We, we become, as we walk in the Word and when we resemble the character of Christ, then we are the imagers. We, we reflect what God is like when we're walking godly, so to say, right? So the Lord God said, uh, let us make man in our image. And he made man. He made them male and female. He made man in his image. So for us to come up with any kind of form or fashion of the Lord God Almighty is just wrong. One, one of the reasons, I mean, the other four are fantastic, but this one is, hey, we, we are the image. Not that we bow down to one another, but we reflect the very glory of God. But when you exchange the living true God for an image, you not only face judgment but more importantly, you miss out on what God really wants to do in your life. Now, we're a lot more sophisticated in our country, right? We, we don't carry around gods on little carts. We, very few of us have little, well, I hope none of us, have little corners of our room that's dedicated to an idol. I don't, I don't think we have that. But yet, we do still battle with idols. So, whatever you think about most, it's probably your idol whatever you think about most. By the way, did you hear that Dat Prescott got traded to Miami? Yeah, I didn't hear that either. But it made you, that made you take a breath, didn't it? You just, <gasps> it's a game, right? And, and, and not to pick on the Super Bowl, I'm going to go to a Super Bowl party, and, and I think I have a favorite team, I think I do, um, and I'm going to watch it. But, but then there's, there's sports, there's money, there's items, there's symbols of money, there's, there's people. People get involved in worshiping one another. When, when, you, when you let someone else's opinion of you shape you, you have just made an idol out of someone else. Some call it spousal worship. It's where one spouse really loves to serve and the other spouse really loves themselves. And what they both have in common is the same God. It's a problem. So idol worship is very active in America. And the things we run to and the things that make you sad, the things that make you happy, really focus in on what the essence of our worship really is. And it is a problem. But um, let me say, I want to I draw our attention to the flow of the Ten Commandments just for a second. So the verse, very first commandment is saying, have no other gods before me, right? Don't have any other gods before me. That's what God is saying. And it is a command. It does sound like if you do, you're in trouble. But I want, I want to frame it a little bit differently. It's more like, man, why would you want to? I mean, it, it's an advantage for you. 
It's not that God is just a protector of his, of his holiness, which he is, or a protector of his being, but he's, he's empathetically crying out to you and to me saying, don't do this. And then he's saying this, don't worship like that. If you do, it won't go well for you. And, and secondly, you, you won't experience the fullness of my presence. Because when you and I, when we are going after would-be so-called store-bought fleshly gods then we're missing out on a touch from the divine to where God, listen, God is the only one who can feel you. He is the only one that can make you stop hurting instead of running to all these things that we want to cram down our throat or bring around us to make us feel like we matter. And we run to those things and God says, that is a lie and that's going to make you hurt for the rest of your life and possibly all eternity. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see what he's saying here? Don't be duped into going after other things. So what is worship? What's from the heart? No special location. No special direction. You don't bow to the east. You don't bow to the west. You don't even have to be in this room. Except on Sundays at 9 o'clock. No. <clears throat> this is just a room, right? It's just a room. That's all this is. Now, it becomes something unique when we're all together. But, but the other 23, 23 hours of the day on Sunday, it's just, it's just a room. It's in truth. It's the regulatory principle. You may not have heard of this. It, it's spoken of in... in among, uh, it's just spoken of a lot. The regulatory principle basically says we are regulated by Scripture, not by our feelings when it comes to worship. In other words, we are driven by God's voice, not by the achings within our own heart. And also we know that it's for His glory and not for our glory. And here's what we mean by all of these three things. So if, if what we do in this room and we do collective worship, now there's private worship, that's, that's unique. There's corporate worship, that's unique. But in corporate worship, it's from our hearts, not a location. It's for the truth, it's driven by the Word of God. And it's for His glory, it's worship-based, spirit-led. And so it means this. So worship is, is more than a song, right? Worship is much more than a song. Um, Worship isn't centered around um, a demand for uh, cultural conformities. Here's what I mean by that. So uh, it, it's not worship if we're all dressed casual. It's not worship if we're all dressed in ties. That doesn't make it worship. Some say they can't worship unless they're on the beach. I, I do think there's something to that. However, or they say, I can't worship unless, I'm, man, I got to be in a deer stand. That's where I really worship God. So it's not conformed to, to style. You know what? It doesn't have to be on Sunday morning that we corporately worship. We do it traditionally because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, not because it's the Sabbath. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But we do it because our forefathers, and I mean, the very beginning, they began to worship on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But that's not necessarily worship. It's not about things. It's not about style of music, right? Would you agree with that? I'll be honest. It's hard for me to really get into worship when it's another style. It is. 
go to China and go worship with them. And you hear these strange sounds and they, they sing in a different way. And you go, you know what? It's not about what instruments are being played or the tone. And all of a sudden, your eyes begin to see the beauty of the integrity of their worship driven by the word in the spirit. And it's just fantastic. So if you believe that your worship has to be with a certain style of music or with certain people, specifically certain people, then it's a problem. There's a guy by the name of, of Redmond. I forgot his first name. What's his first name? Matt Redmond. And so Matt Redmond wrote a song called, We're Returning to the Heart of Worship. So the song goes back to the 90s, uh, born from a period of apathy within his church. And the name of this church was Soul Survivor in England. Despite the country's overall contribution uh, to the current worship revival, Redmond's congregation was struggling to find meaning in the musical outpouring at the time. There was a dynamic that was missing. So the pastor did a pretty brave thing. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the, all the instruments of music, and they gathered together just with voices. So here's what he said. Look, it became something that people were bickering about, styles of worship. They called it the worship wars, if you remember. And he said, you know what? We're not even going to sing. We're not going to use instruments. We're going to get rid of the sound system. And we're going to go back to us bringing something to God. What an what a interesting thought. That when I come to worship, it's not for me to get, but it's for me to give. We give praise, right? We give thanks. We, we give adoration. We give worship. We take our heart and focus it on Him and not all the other junk that invades our life. And so they went through a season of just saying, listen, I think we've misused instrumentation and we've turned it into something that it's not supposed to be. So let's get rid of the whole thing. And they did. They kicked it out. And they just came together and they worshiped just in unique forms and unique fashions. And so, uh, before long, he says, we introduced the musicians and the sound system, and as we gained a new perspective um, about worship, that it's all about Jesus and not about us. And then he wrote this song, and he just clearly says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, not our heart. Isn't that interesting? And then he says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, not about me, not about us. But yet we begin to, oftentimes, I'm guilty of this too, we idolize styles. We'll go visit a church and we'll go, nah, that just didn't, no, wind wasn't blowing right in there. Preacher didn't say, he went way too long. Sorry. We have all these things. Brace yourself. Someone once said, <clears throat> Sunday morning attendance tells us how popular the preacher is. Prayer meeting tells us how popular God is. Heard lots of stories. Heard the story of a guy who's a phenomenal speaker, massive church. And he talked about how he ran into Celine Dion the night before because she did a concert and they happened to be eating at the same restaurant. She came over and said, hey, I've seen you on TV. He goes, yeah. And he told the congregation, he said, listen. And she, I invited her to church. And guess what? She's here right now, Celine Dion. Miss Celine, come on out. And everybody stood up. 
start clapping and applauding and tears and lighters coming out and everything. And then he said, I need to tell you, I just lied to you. She's not coming out. The why didn't you get that excited to meet with Jesus? Can you tell me that one? Should there be excitement about meeting with Jesus when we gather together? Should be. Should be a lot. I remember one time, just so happened to run into a friend, and he, uh, he's, he's fairly well known as a speaker in our country, as a, as a Christian leader. And I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm not doing anything. I said, hey, you want to come speak uh, this Sunday? And he said, no, I can't. I said, how about Sunday night? He said, I'd love to. And I thought about it, and um, I just didn't tell anybody. Come on Sunday night. Didn't tell anybody. And he shows up. And it was, it was great because he's really, really wise and very godly man. And it was really great. And I remember getting a bunch of bad emails because I didn't let everybody know ahead of time. And I just said, well, there was actually a reason for that. There just was a reason for that. I think it reveals something, and it was something in my heart too. I wasn't just pointing fingers. I'm saying, you know what, it seems like we, we've grown uh, accustomed to celebrity worship. It's got to be the right feel. It's got to be the right thing. There's, there's a, a guy I know, and he, he's a, he writes some really, really good music. He wrote a song called Clear the Stage. It says, clear the stage. It's talking about church. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze if that's a measure that it takes to crush your idols. Chuck the pews and all the decorations too until the congregation is few, then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins and you can't be social. Seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward and just be hopeful. Because you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to, but don't get me wrong, worship is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and the lust and the lies are in the open. Read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Because you can sing all you want to. Yeah, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to, but worship is more than a song. Listen to this. Anything I put before God is an idol. Anything I want with all of my heart is an idol. Can I repeat that? Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. You say, oh, that's not, no, no, listen. He says, love me with all your heart. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Also, anything I can't stop thinking about is an idol. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamina's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.